I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know. This is Consequence of Sound. Welcome to Track by Track, a recurring feature here on Consequence of Sound where we explore an album one song at a time with the artist, uh, discussing the song's origins, tales from the studio, Every story that brought this music to life. I'm Tyler Clark, senior writer here at Consequence of Sound, and this episode I'm speaking with Matthew Deere about his new record, Bunny. If you love track by track, our album reviews, or any feature here on COS, please consider rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts or rating and reviewing specific episodes on Podchaser. Your feedback helps us grow and lets us know what you love about our podcasts, how you think they could improve, or even how you listen to them. Reach out to us by leaving a review or hitting us up on the Consequence Podcast Network Facebook page. We're an independent music outlet, and it's you fine folks that make it possible for us to keep exploring music in new and exciting ways. So connecting with you about how you experience our content is majorly important to us. Thanks so much for tuning in, and now let's uncover all the stories behind Bunny with Matthew Deere. We are here on uh, Consequence of Sound with our series Track by Track, where we explore a new album, just like it sounds, track by track. I am uh, senior writer Tyler Clark, and I'm here this morning with Matthew Deere. Uh, thank you for joining us early on this Monday. <laughs> Hello, Tyler. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, how are how are things going over there today? Well, things are going good. I'm just... Uh... I'm into a rock phase uh, and not musical. I'm, I'm I'm digging up rocks in my yard uh, and finding very strange ones, and I'm trying to identify them on the internet, which is a very hard thing to do. That's cool. Is that for is that for like landscaping or pleasure or what's the uh, what was the impetus it's, there? It's for I think a complete waste of time. Uh, <laughs> now, now that I have an album out, I think I'm looking for other most random things to do. Uh, and there's I mean I've always been really drawn into to rocks and stones but i didn't take any courses or anything on them and my kids are of the age now where i can kind of play archaeology <laughs> you know play geologist in the front yard with them so right. i think I, I i con them into coming out and digging holes with me and, and seeing what we find with the uh hopes of potentially finding a, a dinosaur bone uh, <laughs> but then i just i take all the the goods and, and clean them off and they're like wait what happened <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a pretty uh, a pretty good way to spend a morning or two. Um, so you mentioned yeah. you do you do have a new album out, of course. That is, we are here to uh, soon. Yeah, yeah, days, right? yeah. It's because this week, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm I and I, you know, I listened to it uh, all this weekend, and I was I was really uh, it it did not leave my headphones for the last few days, ah, and so I've been spending cool. a lot of time with it. Yeah, yeah. It was really uh, I thought it was really great, and it was really uh, great to hear from you again. Uh, this was. 
of course, this is your first um, record back under under your own name and your own you know your own sort of project since mm-hmm. 2012. Um, I know. Yeah, so it's been it's been been a while. I know. It's it's funny how people say that because yeah, it's great to hear from you again. Yeah, it's like it's almost like, and I get that everywhere. It's like it's like I disappeared. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, which technically, I guess on on that a- aspect of my I guess musical career or that that one angle of me is kind of was been, was uh, hiding for a long time, uh, as opposed to other stuff that I've been doing. So in my head, I'm yeah. like. Oh, I'm stuff you know people know what i'm doing i talk to my fans on twitter and instagram <laughs> then you realize that is a very small sect of humanity <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so when i finally do something they're like oh you still make music like, yes <laughs> come on <laughs> well and that's what i'm, I'm curious about because yeah i mean you you haven't gone away i mean you've been you've been certainly you know active and you've you've always sort of been someone who's um you know, recorded and done work under sort of many different names and, and guises and all that. And so I'm just wondering, like, what about okay. these songs or about this time made it feel like the right time to come back for a yeah. for a Matthew Deere record? Like, what makes these songs, you know, those songs instead of something else? Yeah, um, that's a really good question because, you know, we, I say we, but, uh, you know, I, I sit down with Sam Valenti of the, of the label, Ghostly International, at the very end of it all, kind of sift through the mass of songs. Um, but myself, you know, personally, I kind of collect this, this just total pile of, of representation of different parts of my life, you know, the past whatever, five, six years. And so after a while, it begins to not really weigh on me, but it, it's, it's like a nagging thorn in my side. You know, it's kind of like, all right, well, you get all this stuff that kind of represents who you are, or at least who you were at certain points in that period of time. And then when you have to put it all together in the album, that's when it gets a little tricky, especially the more time that's gone by. You know, I've said I was in a week, you know, maybe like Parte Cork style where you just kind of just like bang it out. Yeah. You hear, you hear like a, a narrative and a, and a style and a vibe through every song. Um, but me being the tinkerer, and the kind of uh, the uh, constant just tinker of sound and playing in my studio and, and doing little loops here and there, it, it can easily get away from you uh, mm. in a good way. Yeah. You know, I, I just end up with so much material. I have to kind of pull it back at the end and say, okay, well, does this song match with this song, match with this song? So it's, it's a bit of a reverse narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to string together a plot of of feeling based on the moments that shine through mm-hmm. um you know there's songs you have to leave off that you, you think are part of the album but in the end it's it becomes that kind of catch-22 like well if that one's there then this one has to be there yeah and there's always and that moment where yeah where you sort of realize like oh man this is the song that you know isn't going to work or whatever and it's like mm-hmm. that sort of aha <laughs> yeah it's a little sad yeah like there's some that it's it's so funny how at least for my albums, how they work, because there's some songs where, you know, I listen to them for almost five years and I keep thinking, okay, this is going to be a great song on the album or even a single. And then, like you said, you know, at the very end, you're kind of like, oh yeah, that one just doesn't really fit anymore. Um, Whereas that's got to go somewhere else. But in the end, I think the ones that ended up on this album are the most representative of that time period, you know, that that's been, uh, 
where, where I've been in a cave missing from the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll jump right in. We'll start at the beginning with Bunny's Dream. And uh, obviously, you know, as sort of the, the opening track and as, as somebody who I'm sure is, or who at least seems to me in, in your work sort of interested in in sequencing and in, you know, sort of how... Uh, an album comes together like as a as a statement and as like a collection of moving pieces. I guess I am just wondering like how you feel this song in particular sets the tone for what is to come after. Yeah, this song, as soon as it was finished, it was clear that it was a very special song, you know, for many reasons, sonically, kind of uh, emotionally, um, but mainly just the way it sounds. There's something about it that even when I hear it, which is really rare, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say, like, I get sick of my songs or I don't listen to certain things after a certain point. But for some reason, this song just continually uh, makes me feel good, you know, every time mm-hmm. I hear it. Um, and it just never really gets old for me, which was really rare. Um, so I knew that it was special like that. And the question that was always, does it go, is it more of like a middle album opus? Like, is it kind of like the, the, the hump that gets people through, through an album or is it the, I never re honestly, I never even thought to put it in the very beginning, but mm. Sam who I mentioned earlier, Valenti, uh, of the, of the label, uh, he was just one day in an email was like, what if we do Bunny's Dream first? <laughs> and I was just like, because we were playing with the order back and forth, and yeah. I kind of thought about it. And I was like, oh wow, like <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. And he's like, yeah, single. Like let's just release it. And it just all made sense, you know. Yeah. And I think in the way, in a way, it kind of always works out that way. Like the last album we had, uh, her fantasy, which I think was eight minutes, and then before that was a uh, uh, little people, Black City. It was the first single from Black City, which was also like kind of this crazy three-part opus thing so for some reason like we just don't really learn our lesson and we just put out like extremely long singles as the lead (laughs) single but whatever i guess in this day and age it doesn't matter i mean people people don't expect me to write three minute pop songs so it's fine uh i mean yeah absolutely and i think for me like it there was an immediacy to the song and it sort of drew me in and like looking back i think drew me into what become sort of the world of the record um yeah um, and you cool said how a song can do that yeah yeah and, and it's really like when that I happens put, i put yeah. a lot of pressure on this song you know <laughs> right <laughs> it's like it's like bunny's dream has to pretty much like if i put that out that 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 gives me so much more clearance on everything else it's like oh i don't really get like echo but he did bunny's dream so <laughs> right. like I kind of understand where he's coming from. (laughs) Yeah. It becomes like a load, load bearing. Yeah. 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 Um, Absolutely. And you mentioned sort of the, mm, you mentioned like the, the sonic uh, sort of being sonically interesting and sonically um, something that you want to return to. Yeah. I feel like for me, like the idea of, I mean, it's in the title, I guess too, but like the idea of sort of like the dreamscape and like representing like a dreamlike place. And like, I felt like, and I, you know, if I'm off base on this, like, be sure and let me know. But like, I felt like for me, like a lot of it came down to um, like the mix and sort of some of the like, there's all those sort of interesting sounds and they're kind of, some of them are kind of like lurking just below the surface. And you're sort of like, you're not maybe getting the whole picture. And, and I felt like that was a, a really effective 
way, you know, way to like construct the song. I was just wondering what the, you know, what your process was for, for that. Yeah. Yeah. So this song, you know, clearly there's a lot of moving parts and I think a song like this can easily go awry in the mix. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can either boost things way too loud or have certain things too quiet, but okay. So kind of the basic, the basic story of the song was, you know, I had, I think I had the idea. I had mm-hmm. some, I had some music for it. Um, and I invited Greg Ahi from Proto Martyr. Uh, we, we kind of struck up a relationship over the last year where I did some, I recorded some songs for them. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome band on, on Domino, but also Michigan, uh, Detroit based. So I met them through a mutual friend and, and Greg came over for some other thing we were working on and he kind of saw my studio saw my mixing console, saw all the analog like processing. And he was just like, Hey, he's like, you ever recorded a band? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I really want to, you know, that's, that's the goal. That's why I bought this like vintage console and everything. So they came over, I think one night just nailed it. You know, we got two songs down. It was just really cool. Sounded great. Got to kind of test out my new drum room for the first time. And then after that, Greg and I just kind of, we, we, we musically bonded and uh, he's, I think he's almost like 10 years younger than me, but mm. there's, there's something about our, like, I speak a lot in musical metaphors. Mm-hmm. So like, I'll just be like, Oh, that sounds like daydream nation. Like, you know, like, Oh, that, that guitar sound sounds so Elvis Costello from this. Side of, so like, that's how I describe like music. Yeah. And, and he was picking up like on all those vibes and coming back with his own. And I'm like, yes, like exactly. <laughs> um, so we have, we have like the same encyclopedia of, of things to pull from musically uh, in the back of our head. So I knew right away we had this kind of musical uh, kindred spirit thing and he would be really good for helping me with some of the songs on the record. Um, so he came by and I think this was one of the first ones we worked on. We had some other ideas to work on something else, but he just started playing that lick, the Bunny's mm-hmm. Dream like guitar thing. And it was just like, oh, okay, hold on. Like that's that's it. <laughs> like I just, I just gotten some new recording or uh, effects processors, these cool little OTO machines, uh, reverb and delay boxes that are really cool old kind of vintage modeling um, delay and, and reverb boxes. And his guitar through that was what kind of gave the song the immediate, whoa, like magical vibe. Yeah. And he just played, he played pretty much all of that in one take. Um, you know, the main loop. And then I cut it up, of course, and, and put it where it needed to be in the song. Um, and then I, I think I played bass on that one and I did all the other programming and everything. But once I had his part, that was just like the catalyst. That was the cornerstone and the thing that kind of gave me the ethereal dream vibe for the rest of it. And um, yeah, it was just kind of like a, a piece it together. It, it worked out really well. There was, there were lyrics. Like I did a few like random lyrics mm-hmm. that we were jamming to that I almost put in the song, which I, I think I do live sometimes. So that, that kind of makes it cool. Like it's got a, it's got a live version with me <laughs> singing <laughs> as opposed to just the, the repetitive vocal. Um, I had that, I added that girl sample, the you and I kind of weird chopping right, vocal yeah, sample yeah, after yeah. the fact. And so I remember when I sent him back, that cut he was like whoa he's like where'd you get that like the singer and i'm like i just chopped up some samples and, <laughs> and then from that i took my vocal so like to me i thought she was saying you and i in this world with you mm-hmm. and that's how i like to work i like to just let sound and tone guide me 
so almost a little bit of like the telephone game of of hearing like okay yeah. what do i think she said and then i i repeat it and then it kind of it fit it really fit like it was this kind of all-inclusive you know regardless of the whole political nonsense situation happening it was just it just felt like a good song to sing for everyone and it's just about inclusion and and kind of bringing us all together yeah and whether whether that's me and the listener or you know me and my daughters or me and my dog whatever it's <laughs> It just felt like a really good positive energy, absolutely, um, which I wanted to capture. And then the cool part, the last little technical thing, Greg and I were sitting here, and it's fun to look at the file times because, like, we were definitely working like midnight to two on this one. Um, when I look at like the stems, you know, when they were recorded, <laughs> right? And there was this one moment where we're like, okay, we need a part, we need something to change here, but we don't want it to be a synth. What can it be? And I'm like, oh, I have an idea. So I, I busted out a little drum machine. Um, and I was messing around and I got this little Tom, like, then all of a sudden I was, I was just randomly like sequencing. And then it was just like, doom, 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 and I was like, Whoa. And I like looked at him and he's like, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You know, and it was just like that, that sound just came out of nowhere. It's one of those really cool free flow of, of, uh, ideas. And as soon as you, you find it, you're kind of like, yes, that's the best thing that can possibly be there right now. <laughs> that's how music is. You know, it's kind of, a song can be anything. You know, we make the stuff out of thin air, you know, and we kind of just, we're like alchemists in a way. <laughs> yeah, you feel like you're getting like received, you know, received yeah. wisdom or received inspiration, you know, yeah, like something's coming yeah. to you rather than you're just making something I mean, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I've heard people say that, and that's true if you're like a really good songwriter and you're getting these like ideas, but when you're doing electronic based music too, or, or even instrumental music, I think it's more of just let me spit out all this stuff that's been stewing in my head that I've received, you know, mm -hmm. from anywhere. And then sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. And you just kind of, you have to know when the right thing came out and that synth sound at that moment was the right thing. And it's funny. I had so many people, I like, talk to friends and stuff are like, what is that sound? Like I've got people texting me like, what what piece of gear did that? You know, like, yeah. they were obsessed with that one little solo, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was an electron uh, rhythm drum machine, old Tom sound. Uh, yeah. So I know that, like, so that's obviously, like, that's one very, you know, kind of specific production experience. And I think I've read that the experience on the next track, on Calling, was a little different. You wrote yeah. this one on piano. Is that is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, digital piano, at least. Sure. On my, on my, in my studio. I, I have since bought a real piano at an estate sale. Just a real old, weird German piano. Yeah. Um, which I like to try to write ideas on now. Um, but that one was just me there's something different about piano especially not being a, a true piano player mm -hmm. you know i play i play a lot more guitar i grew up playing guitar never super super good but you know I, I know the basics and for piano i was always interested and always very mediocrely like adept at just playing like basic chords and stuff like mm -hmm. i knew the structure of how you're supposed to do it 
but I couldn't go further. It's like juggling. Like you can get like two or three balls going and then right. they all fall on the floor. Yeah. Like that's how I was with piano. And I still basically am, but at least I know like the names of the balls or something <laughs> before I drop them. <laughs> so for some reason, I just started really trying to like, it's like I recently said, okay, I'm going to get into Dylan. And this is like five years ago, six years ago. But I was like, I'm finally going to get into Dylan. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And so it's like I made the mental like connection to the music and I started listening to Dylan, like really listening without mm-hmm. judging. <clears throat> and I think the same thing happened with piano. I was like, I'm finally going to learn some piano. <laughs> just, I, I opened that gate and I told myself like, let's do it. So I started memorizing notes and chords and, oh, okay, cool. Like I see that this one works with this one. So anyway, long story short, it, calling I think is kind of came out of that new obsession with piano. <clears throat> and it's a pretty rudimentary, simple, you know, chord progression, nothing, nothing mm. drastic. But the second you start playing piano, I think it's singing, at least for me, there's there's a more, I don't know if it's like the vertical nature of like the, the hands just kind of, you know, they give you, it, it does something different with your brain. So like you can immediately, like I, I turned into like a Randy Newman wannabe or something like, <laughs> <laughs> or like, a, you know, Billy Joel at the best, you know, you're thinking these great piano guys. But yeah, there's something just so like, I don't know. There's something about the piano and like words. If yeah. you think about, you know, Elsie Sound Systems, New York or whatever, uh, you know, New York, I love you, sure. but you're bringing me down. Like that's, it just brings that out of you. It brings out that kind of like, I got to sing a song about something. Right. You know, there's in particular. Like, yeah. There's like a certain, like it taps into like a, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, you're right. Like if there's this different like narrative song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, and I think, song. And I think that also comes out in this one, like, um, with the the sort of more, like, unadorned vocals that are sort of out there to start. And it sort of, mm-hmm. like, builds to something. You know, I think that, that, that that's a really interesting m- movement that the song makes. And I think also when paired with um, with the song's lyrics, I think it's it's this very, you know, it's such, it's such a, um, a turn from Bunny's Dream but it, but they still feel like they're in conversation with each other and they work you know they're working together. Yeah, well, I'm glad you hear that because I, I don't hear it. <laughs> um, no, but I, I I know what you're saying about like the actual like the actual song itself. I mean, I think this is the first. This is one of the first songs I wrote where I was like, okay, I got to write. Let me try to write some love songs. Let me try to write some real character songs where it's like person A and person B. Um, and whether I'm sure part of that's me you know, my wife and part of it's just my imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this story never happened to me in particular, right. but you know, it could have happened in a dream setting or something. And that's just what I wanted to do is tell this kind of this, like this, this, this love story. And, and a lot of this stuff, when you play the piano, it just kind of comes out and, you know, I think it's, it's like, I become somebody else. Maybe it is that kind of Randy Newman esque. like in my mind, you gotta let yourself go. You just want to like, you want to try to just channel somebody or it's like a bit, a bit like method. We're just kind of like, like you just act. It's like, okay, who can I be right now? Like who can I mm-hmm. be writing this song? And, and that's when the voice is a little different. And then in the end, you go back to it. And you're like, what? Like, do I, what was I, why was I singing that way? Like, yeah. <laughs> do, I, do I want to keep it that way? Yeah, but then who, like, who, who was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like, I tried to, I, I mean, I think I did do other more toned down vocal versions and, just didn't really have the same character, you know, and like it's what I find more and more about songs is it's all about vibe and it's mm-hmm. all about 
the best songs just have the best vibe. Um, you know, let it be like, doesn't have crazy chords that no other musician has ever played before. You know, it's, it's a very basic song structure. Um, most Dylan songs are like of the utmost basic kind of classic folk, uh, Irish, like chord progression style. Um, but it's what he does with the words and the way he delivers the words and the way he sounds when he says them that makes the song what it is. And then of course, all the historical weight that gets wrapped up into that stuff. So the listener kind of goes to all these places at once uh, when listening to it, they're not listening to it saying, Oh, this is a great pop song. Like this is really hooky. You know, it's more like, this is just a enigma. Like this is a big, big thing that I'm listening to. Um, and I'm not saying what calling is, but that's just what I, that's what I'm more impressed by. I see. You know, trying to capture that, that vibe on all angles, as opposed to just, you know, writing a, a clean hooky pop song. Well, I wonder what the, um, it's interesting that you bring up vibe. I wonder what um, you would identify or feel as the vibe on track number three on Can You Rush Them? Because, mm-hmm. because for me, I mean, like, I think it, it well, you know, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you go first and then I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you how I felt about it. Then <laughs> cool. That feels fair. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, Can You Rush Them was actually, it's one of the oldest ones or older ones um, that I think I started writing shortly after bunny or sorry, uh, beams. So that would have been like 2013. I was upstate New York. And I remember I was testing out some old, some new, uh, uh, EQ like modules that I'd kind of gotten on loan. And I was just like doing some mic stuff through it just to see what it sounded like. And I just came up with that really mantric. It started with the, Oh, no, 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 Like I just, came out one night so yeah. I started doing that and I started layering it and it comes becomes this wall of my voice so I always had that loop I had that forever and uh the drums were kind of there they're maybe a little bit more digital um but that was it you know I just had the nimi not thing um and then the lyrics come out like maybe a few years after, like later it's like okay let's make this a song um and then it was it was more just about the, like the wordplay at first like you know, I was a good man, or no, I was a bad man, and then I found God, which is kind of like the play on like right. religion. But then I found him asleep, so it's like, whoa, singer, yeah, like that's not what people were expecting. <laughs> but um, uh, he, he didn't wake up, and no one ever does for me. So yeah, it's just kind of the story of this guy who's just kind of wandering. It's like a total solo being, um, and then he kind of he's with somebody, or he sees somebody who has been. Uh, in some sort of uh, explosion of some sort or uh, like an incident, uh, you know, can you hear me? Uh, can you fight now? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're on the streets. Uh, you know, can you rush them? Uh, then it kind of became this kind of like pro- protest battle cry song mm-hmm. or something. Um, and I, I don't want to say it's about now, but I don't want to say it's not about now. You know, it's not right because um, everything is. It's a big mix inside of me. Um, so I think parts of it do feel very, very uh, fitting, you know, kind of like, like this fighting, like 
like narrative. Like we just got to band together and take back the streets kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but really, it was just the heaviness of the loop, the the mantric loop, and the the drums that kind of drove me to have this more uh, aggressive kind of fighting mentality or self defense, I should say. You know. Yeah, and it's so funny. Like I I have a note down here that like yeah, that the that loop and those drums they do such a good job at like adding to the natural tension of the song. You know, I think there's an it. This is the first sort of sense of urgent like really urgency on this record and i think it, i i hearing you say that it, it's you know this is one that's been sort of pieced together and put together over over the years i mean that that feels personally that surprises that surprises me because i mean i was i had in my you know in my head my interpretation um it felt very much like of of the now and sort of uh and maybe that's just because you know it's when when you're looking for things like that everything sort of looks that way but um yeah it has a there's a there's a power to it and uh it feels like a, like yeah. i said like a rallying yeah rallying cry almost yeah by the and, end. i mean I, I won't i won't deny that i'm sure a lot of that stuff seeps in you know sure my my writing um but again like kind of the same thing it's like when you have that that chanting kind of like big heavy drum loop thing and i think hopefully i could say it's because i'm smart enough but i think i intentionally kind of shelve it you know, it's like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's, that's big. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's hold that. You know, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta be in the right place to finish that one. Um, and that's why it kind of waits and simmers for so long, yeah. uh, before it gets finished. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I finished it last, within the last year. Huh. So it, it's fresh in that sense, even right. though the, the core may be a little older. Echo look the best at night. He run around town, drone to the ground. Echo looked the best at night. I know another song that comes from, or that has sort of its origins in 2013 is, is Echo, is the next one. Is that oh, what yeah. I think you said? Yeah, call, or can you rush them? And Echo were definitely from the barn in upstate New York. Nice. And I know that the, you, you've said in other interviews that that this was sort of inspired by some of the some of the locals in upstate New York, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'd I'd love to hear more about about them. Yeah, um, if I ever show up there, they're gonna be like vigilantes with like <laughs> like torches. No, I, I don't think I say anything bad about them. Um, no, it's just yeah, upstate New York is it's crazy. It's like. There, there was probably so much prosperity at one point with the coal industry and, 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 you know, all that mining and, but ever since it's kind of had this kind of bad, slow decline into, uh, some unknown, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the tourist industry has gone from the Catskill. Like it's just, so there's a lot of ghosts there, you know, you, you can drive around. It just feels very, feels haunted. The whole place. Does. Um, and I think Tina Fey even had a really funny joke on SNL once where she said, why why does everybody in upstate New York act like they're in on a murder? <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's kind of the vibe. Like this, you get this kind of sense of like, there's this weird, like gloom hanging over. Mm-hmm. Um, and as somebody who came not from there, you know, I was, I was very aware of that. And I was very much not trying to uh, impose upon that. You know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to in any way um, slag the people at all. Yeah. You know, talking about the economic situation is a little rough, and 
Monticello, for example, was, was a town near us that had like a big facelift in the late nineties and they tried to boost some money into it. And then it's kind of like fell flat. Like yeah. Nothing happened. Another town like Port Jervis is like that. And you see these old mansions like that used to be like whatever coal, you know, factory mm-hmm. owners, like houses and they're just dilapidated. And there's these old lush, lavish lakefront hotels that are, you know, white balconies and everything columns. And they're just got trees growing out of them here and there. It's a little bit like Detroit in a weird way. You know, yeah. it's like the upstate of Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> um, now that I realize, uh, which was strange because, you know, it always bugged me that New York is like supposed, supposedly the epicenter of like business and commerce and finance. And yet the actual state is kind of got like totally shit on by like all this money that was happening, mm-hmm. you know, a few hundred miles down, uh, down the river. Um, so there's just that sense of like, like a little bit of like what the fuck happened. And <laughs> then you see these like kind of young kids going around that, that reminded me of me when I was in Michigan, just like kids doing nitrous and drinking forties and, you know, driving beat up cars, but they spent like 500 bucks on the sound system. So they're pretty like happy with it. Mm. Um, which is where I was, you know, like I, it's, it's definitely like a little bit of a self described song. It's, it's not autobiographical, but I've definitely been around kids that I associate as, the stuff, the stuff that I, I sing about in that song. Um, so in that sense, I was like, would, would it be cool if I wrote like a musical all about like the burnt out use of Monticello and Upstate <laughs> And so I think that was like my only attempt at it. Um, and it kind of like, it was before we labeled things as the opioid crisis. I think it, mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit of that too. Like you kind of see that up there. It's just kind of like, this kind of like, where do we go from here? Yeah. Mentality. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of the, you know, I started thinking about, I had these two characters in mind then like Echo and the bunny, which, you know, people point out after the fact, okay, well, what about Echo and the bunny man? And I'm like, Oh, duh. Like, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't realize why those words work so well together. I, that's funny. But, I read, I read that too. And I had, I did not make that connection at all. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh shit, you're totally right. Um, but in my mind, I wasn't like, you know, lips like sugar. You wasn't. I wasn't thinking about it at all. Like as I was doing it, I was like, "Oh, of course!" Like if there was a guy named Echo, his girlfriend would be named Bunny, um, and Bunny would be this kind of like good girl who's just hanging out with like the bad kids. Um, and so I started thinking, you know, if Echo's this kind of like rough and tumble, like leader of his little posse. Like I wouldn't even say gang at that point. They're just they're just kids, you know, like yeah. trying to be tough. And they're, you know, they're selling their weed and they're just like walking up and down, like find, trying to find like shit to break and stuff. And a little bit like Gummo, like Harmony Corinne, like world. And so I just started thinking about this like world. And I wrote that song and it really just came out like boom, 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 boom. I think it was one of the fastest songs I've yeah. ever written. Um, and then I started thinking about all the concept stuff later. Like, okay, well. Okay, if this is Echo, then Bunny. I never, I never have. I don't have a Bunny song. Right. I have Bunny's Dream, which could, I thought in my head could be like Bunny's, just daydream, like mm-hmm. of her, like thinking about a better life. Um, and then the kind of the, the tense parts are when Echo is like causing problems, and you know, eventually I think he dies. I guess in my in my mind. Mm. Um, but he, like he just is this kind of punk that could have been maybe like 50 years or 30 years ago could have been like homecoming King could have had a great job. 
could have been like Echo and Bunny could have been stars of their town and they could have gotten like great little jobs and had kids. And, you know, it's like they were the American dream 30, 40 years ago, but now like, this is what they become. This is what we're kind left like with. This. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's, just, it's, it was this whole idea in my head of, you know, what happens to the American dream at this point, you know, when not, not saying it was ever like perfect, mm-hmm. you know, and, and certain people benefited far more than others, but just in that sense, like, it's almost like these kids are kind of lost. They have no more, uh, direction. And that's what that song was about. And then later, I think I said it to like, I found out later, like that night that Lou Reed died. Mm. Um, and so then I listened to it the next day. And I'm like, Whoa, it sounds a lot like a song about Lou Reed. You know, it could be like, like Lou Reed could be echo. Yeah. Um, and then the drums are very like reminiscent of some dry, like Lou Reed stuff. And Sam actually from ghostly texted me once. He's like, yeah, yeah. So, um, like, can you send me the link to the Lou Reed song again? <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, wait which song? And he's like, uh, Echo. And I'm like, did I tell you the story? He's like, no, what are you talking about? And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, like, and I told him the whole thing I just told you. And he's like, no, oh, no way. Like, That's you never crazy. told me that. So <laughs> he heard it too, which is really nuts. Yeah. Uh, that is, man, that is nuts. Uh, I also just want to say before we, before we move on to, uh, next track, I, I thought I really liked the, um, the the sort of interplay and the the you know the altering or alternating sort of intelligible vocals versus the sort of garbled ones playing mm-hmm. on that like the echo idea I thought that was a really cool um like that that sort of like the idea of like a distorted or like wrong echo of something like that felt yeah. very it's unsettling and I I didn't really know why until like I I really sat down but like when I heard it I was like oh that's you know, this is kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was just, I think that was like the layer, the first layer of the song was the drums, the music. And I think I just had this idea to do like a 50s style baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, just a real, like almost like Motown as like baseline. But then I, I put the one, the very last one was supposed to be like off, you know, it's like off on rhythm, mm-hmm. which made it a little more, I don't know, characteristic or uncharacteristic. Um, and then, everything else kind of fit after that. But the lyrical part, I did all live. I did each take live. I almost did the chorus laid out live, knowing that I would fill in the verses later. And so every chorus is a little bit different. And it was all live going through this uh, Moger Foger cluster flux pedal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that just like was fun. It was almost like I was playing my voice as, as a weird synth instrument. Um, And I think in the end, I'm saying like, you're not the boy with the deuce you're not the boy with the deuce. You're not the boy. You're not the boy. You're not the boy with the deuce. Mm-hmm. So it also had that fifties, like deuce car, right. like, you know, like it's kind of like just kids running down a cruising, like looking for trouble. So it's, it's just like a weird sounding yeah. thing. But the cool, the, the last little thing I'll say about that song, which was super cool. Um, was I did some shows for Alt J like two shows open up for them. Mm-hmm. They asked me to do it in the summer and you know, they were okay. Like, always tough like opening for people but um for this one show we did in uh, north carolina like all these kids are in the front row and i'm like oh cool they came down here just to get good seats for all jay then like through my set they're like getting really into it and they're like yeah like we love you matthew i'm like oh man like kids in north the kids in south carolina north carolina they, uh, north carolina they like know what i'm all about like, it's cool <laughs> and then uh 
so it was surprising. Um, and I started doing Echo, and um, halfway through the song, they started singing it like with me. And I obviously I hadn't released a song at that point, and it's never been anywhere. Yeah. And they started singing like "You're not the boy, you're not the boy, like you're not the boy, dude." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, like I have a whole like front row of people singing a song with me that's unreleased, <laughs> and and I'm the opening band of the band they came to see. So it was a really special moment. I was like, "Wow, this song like really works for some people." Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I've gotten comments from like sound guys being like, "Dude, that song, like the Nitro song, like that's good. Mm. Like that's." That's a great song. I'm like, <laughs> wow. It's like you don't, you never hear from sound. I was gonna say when you impress a sound guy, that's that's yeah. a, that's a high that's high praise. <laughs> yeah. So people learned it and I impress sound guys. So there's something cool about that song. It's pretty good takeaways. Uh, so I think the next one on track number five may be the only uh, song out there named after a narcolepsy drug. So I know there's a there's a story that goes with this one too. Uh, if you if you what have you heard? Uh, I think I just read. The, I think you talked to NPR about this one maybe last year when it came when it uh, when it came out because this was one of the ones that the yeah, sort yeah. of early tracks came out last year that sort of yeah. heralded what we have now. Um, yeah, the first song. Yeah, and it was it was uh, I think Australia was involved. Is that is that right? Oh yeah yeah totally yeah yeah. I, I'm like uh, I'm like being interrogated i'm like well what have you heard how much do you know <laughs> i've got your file i know um <laughs> i did not do that i'm sorry <laughs> um no no, no. i mean being, being a traveling musician uh, you know especially traveling musician who likes to be home as much as possible uh i do a lot of flying back and forth go go back and forth back and forth so sometimes in my insane uh method i i go to places like japan and australia for like the weekend <laughs> so i fly from detroit to australia on a, whatever thursday night and i'm flying back on a sunday um just to make like the two shows there happen mm. so when this happens um as you get a bit older and somebody who does not like to partake in other methods of uh energy sure, sure. <laughs> uh energy intensity intensification uh, you get a little tired and the Red Bulls there and you're just like, uh, and then, so I asked a friend or a guy that was watching us there, I said, Hey, do you guys like you have any, something that maybe is not e- illegal that could just maybe like give me a little bit extra boost. And he said, Oh yeah, my girlfriend actually has, um, modafinil. Um, you know, and you can, and I'm like, Oh, what's that? I'm like, I've heard of it. It's like provigil modafinil. Mm-hmm. It's like the smart drug thing. It was like all the rage. So it was uh, myself and actually my, my visual guy. We decided to take it, and it was like instantaneously, jet lag was gone. Wow. Like, Whoa. But there was nothing else. There was no like rapid heart rate, no no blood like rushing through my veins. It was just a very clean, clear headed, like, ah, this stuff's pretty cool. So I very much uh, respected, I guess, the whatever was happening. It's not an amphetamine. It's mm-hmm. not like there's something more with dopamine and it's, I think it's more closely related to an antidepressant, uh, okay. than an actual like speedy, uh, upper. Um, 
and yeah, it's it's basically, I think pilots take it. It's for people who like travel between time zones and, mm-hmm. and have crazy sleep schedules and not not only narcolepsy, but right. um, you know, people with, they call it sleep shift work disorder. Oh, sure, um, sure, sure. Yeah. And so I've, 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 I've done more research on it since I've found out like, you know, a lot of people swear by it. They really love it. They think it's like a wonder drug. Um, so the song I wrote actually in January of 2017, I believe, or 16, might be 17. And it was a really cool process. I, I wrote with this guy, Troy Noka from LA, who's done some stuff with Frank Ocean in the past. And uh, we were out in Topanga Canyon at this really cool studio. And it was like midnight in the fog. You couldn't see past your like fingertips. Mm. Um, like the cars, like Uber wouldn't even go there really. Um, and the song just kind of like came out of us. And I think in the beginning, he was trying to write a song for me. And I was trying to ask him to write more of a song that he would normally write. And then we met right in the middle. And then the vocals were just like, just streamed out. Um, I think I did the vocals in like 30 minutes. I like wrote the lyrics down, everything. And I've tried to sing like that again. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to like capture like, a, if I could do the whole album in this this tone and this style, I would. But um, it was just one of those magic moments. So it's not like I ever, I didn't write it about Modafino, but mm-hmm. it was the idea of this world where you kind of realize that you know, something like Modafinil, although it works once or twice, you know, it's not like a, a cure-all. It's right. not like a, it's not going to fix everything. So that's the blues part of it. Like we, we, it's not like withdrawals. It's not like coming down. It's just more like, oh, like there's a pill that will make everything better. But, you know, is that the answer? Yeah. You know, and oh, well, that gave me the blues. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's the whole thing. Nothing but upset you I feel like I could comfort you So let me take you by your head And walk beside you into something good We're on to uh, track six now, which is what you don't know. And I know that we, we talked earlier about... Um, like speaking in musical metaphors and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for me, this one, like I got like a really strong hit of like those sort of late seventies, early eighties, like David Byrne and Brian Eno collaborations. Okay. Uh, just there's that you're sort not, of, like, you're not going to believe, you're not going to believe what my musical metaphor is for this one. I and love I've it. Always I, had it. I can't wait. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just has that sort of like that sort of nocturnal, like, yeah, well, there's like not, I don't I don't know if it's menace or just like mystery or something to it. Uh, it just I, I don't know. It like it, it hit me with the like my life in the bush of ghosts sort of yeah yeah vibe. And I but yeah. So what is what is yours? <laughs> well, well that, that that's all great. Yours are way more better than mine. Um, <laughs> no. But I think musically, I think something about the delivery of the vocals for me was always <laughs> Manu Chow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there's just something about like. Like it was just a really like stuff was so like direct and like accessible, but so globally like understood Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, that I think when I was singing like the just the beginning parts and afterwards like like Manu Chow even that's a totally random (laughs) self reference I don't expect anybody else to hear that Um, but that was my my reference but anyways yeah those songs. I did like five songs with the uh, Simeon Mobile Disco in like four days uh, in their studio in, in London or outside of London in Kent. And that was one of them. And 
that was one of them that stuck and it was yeah it felt like we were doing like a live jam session we, we did the first day it was just all gear me singing little ideas here and there just jamming and then the rest of the trip was me and them sorting through these jams and seeing which ones we can turn into songs and that was one of them and it was i guess the sense of that album i was kind of talking about where you're like forced to be somewhere in a short amount of time mm-hmm. and forced to get these ideas out and the lyrics kind of come out of you very much of the moment there's a few like i think it was pre oh man was it post-election it was post-election pre-inauguration for trump so it was like there's definitely a few so- songs in that group that were more angry yeah. um or frustrated but sure. uh this one i didn't have to do with that so it just kind of came out of that but but uh, it's funny how those songs work too, because I know a lot of friends like that. We got to write a Trump protest record. We got to do like, we got to do all this stuff, and then like you, you work on maybe one or two songs, and then like a month later you're like, oh god, like this is just so annoying. <laughs> right? Yeah, you get yeah. There's you get, I have to do ten of these. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, anyways, uh, but no, those guys are awesome, and it was, it was so cool to work with them uh, in their studio, which is fantastic. And the, the, I mean, the lyrics on this one also feel like, I mean, you mentioned earlier about doing some, some more like, um, character songs or like eyes and use sort of thing. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, and you've, you've mentioned in this interview, like, you know, that's, that's a lot of that can be, um, you know, wholly, wholly created and, and, you know, not sort of autobiographical at all. But I, I wonder if, if in the, in the instances where you do have sort of a, where you are sort of revealing something about yourself, uh, I I wonder what value you find in in or if you ever indulge in in sort of spilling some of your secrets in song, especially when they're mixed in with fantasy. So there's sort of a there can be sort of a plausible deniability sort of thing. Yeah, and the world will never know <laughs> of my sins through music. But <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're onto something there. There's there's definitely a good blend of the real things I've done and the things I wish I've done and the things I wish I hadn't done and, yeah. and the things that some fantasy character did. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to admit like, it's very blatantly me, mm. but many times I listen to songs like five years later and I'm like, Oh, like that's what I was talking about yeah. with myself. You know, <laughs> they're almost like I figured it out much, much later. It feels like it's just been way too long. Since my broken heart has trusted someone I know one day I might find you gone So I'm gonna love you Like the day will never come So speaking, so yeah, obviously you've had you had worked with me in Mobile Disco on that one, um, and which brings us to Horses, which uh, features another of one of the sort of high-profile collaborations on the record um, that mm-hmm. pops up a couple times. Uh, you worked with Tegan and Sarah on this one. Um, mm-hmm. So how, yeah. how tell me a little bit about how that came about, what your sort of uh, relationship with them is, and also like how you know what sort of impact they had on this track itself. Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, I mean, this is the one where, this is the one that took the most time. Okay. Um, we, I mentioned that there was one in the beginning mm-hmm. uh, that had the most, most detailed like tweaking, um, and that was horses. Uh, I think I had like twelve or fifteen mix downs of this one by the end, like way too much. And credit to Greg 
Ahi from Proto Martyr again for coming in at the last second, kind of slapping me in the face and saying, "This is a really good song. Like let's let's bring it back to normal. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get it back down to ground zero where we can kind of reappropriate things." Um, and then he added like the guitar parts and all that. So thanks to Greg for helping me finish this one. Um, yeah, the Tegan and Sarah stuff on this album is uh, a pretty cool story. It's like, so in general, our relationship started when I reached out to them via managers. Like I, I knew that my manager was meeting with their manager for something else. Um, and I said, Oh, tell them I really like the last album, uh, which was at that point was, wasn't closer, but the one right before it, um, mm. And I, I really just, I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of like great pop, you know, yeah. like Robin and, you know, certain like just really accessible pop songs, like the killers, like I just fucking love some of this stuff. Um, and so Tegan and Sarah also like fit into that mold. And I've always known about them since the walking with the ghost first single, like broke oh, yeah, I was in my yeah. college and it was just such a cool, weird song. It's, so they were always on my radar and I think I would work with them, but, really like what they did. Um, you know, not a whole lot of people fit their, nobody fits their model. Mm-hmm. If you really think about it, but there's such a unique, um, like just weird, like just their, their story is so awesome. You know, like it's just, it, you don't have that anywhere else, um, in the modern music world, you know, their, their whole thing. Mm-hmm. So they stood out to me from the get go. I told their management that I really liked the album to which they replied, we love that. Like we love a remix or something. And I was like, ah, like they know who I am. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> um, I, I did not expect that. And, you know, finding out like later that like Sarah really likes my music. Like she really like thinks about it. And she's just one of the people who actually like get what I'm doing mm-hmm. and, and love kind of going in those little sonic worlds that I take people and she like tries to figure it all out herself. And so I was like, Oh, she really like is a fan. So it's cool. Um, so yeah, I did the remix for one of the songs and then like a year later, they asked me to do production for the pale shelter tears for fears cover that they had been asked to do. So they kind of said, Hey, like we got this request. Like, would you like to just do the music for it? And I was like, yeah, sure. So that, that worked really well. It was fun. It was like a first real collaboration. Um, and then she told me. Hey, like, you know, for our next album, if you ever have any ideas laying around, like we would love to, you know, maybe make some songs for album. Um, I was having like my first kids then, like I was just kind of like trying to finish an audio album. So it just kind of, it fell through the cracks. I didn't get anything together, which I always kind of felt bad about. Um, and then I, but of course we always kept the line of communication open. Come my album time, uh, I had a loop ready for horses i had the idea ready and i sent it to her saying like hey this is one i think would be great if you guys worked on she loved it said yes and i think in about like four or five days just sent back everything like all the parts the lyrics um vocals like just harmonies like just so meticulously organized and i'm so impressed like nobody's ever been this like you know verse one verse two verse one tegan verse two like sarah like all just perfectly like labeled and layered and i thought to myself okay well that went really well let me let me press my luck here <laughs> and i said okay well you know i know you guys have a little bit more time before you go back on the road 
would you want to take a stab at another one? Like, <laughs> while I, before I finish this one? And that's when I sent her the bad ones loop, um, which, you know, we'll get to later in the album. But she was like, yeah, sure. Uh, and then almost like, I think half the time, like a day later, she sent back everything for that. And that was, that was no lyrics. Like, I didn't send her any melodies or anything. And all of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, like, this is a song. <laughs> Like I was like, I think this is the hit. Like this is the one we got to work on. Yeah, just, so that, that's what I focused on first. Finished that one pretty quickly, uh, and then horses was kind of like the the weird, like like parent. I've I've, I've kind of like likened it to like my paranoid Android in a weird way. Oh yeah. Um, okay. It just had so many levels for yeah. me. Like like I'm not saying it's like Radiohead, but it's just so many different like turns mm-hmm. and like there's so many weird little parts to it that. In the end, like the label asked me, can you do a radio edit for this? And I was like, ah. so I listened to it. I'm like, I went through every piece and I'm sorry. It's like nothing I can take out of this. <laughs> yeah. So there's something about like each little part really like needs to be there in some weird way for me. And I think that's why it just took so long because there's so many weird complex sounds and and ideas. And it, it used to be way more poppy, like, like the drums are a lot brighter and bigger. Uh, but then I stripped it way down for the album, which I think it kind of worked. And again, it's it's like it's kind of like a piano song. Like mm-hmm. I played it on piano, and I was like, "Ooh, like this works really well on piano." And I think, yeah, actually, I think it it did start as a piano song. The chords I was just playing around on the, the piano and came up with the the main melody. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of like the calling vibe, where it's just a it's a love song and it's a real honest song. And you know, they just were the cherry on top. Like they're just awesome. Huh. That's, I mean, yeah, it, it it does feel like they, you know, they have that sort of, I think just the, the way that, you know, the, their, their career has gone and, and, you know, the sort of consummate, like cross that crossover, like pop sound and professionalism that still like, it, it always seems to work without feeling manufactured or anything. It always feels very honest and feels very, um, yeah just genuine and and that's i'm glad i'm glad to hear that working with them is is equally sort of uh you know that, that they're as as good to work with as they are to uh to listen to oh my gosh yeah so nice so <laughs> professional so like just so pro um and the funny thing was you know I, I did i was showing my nephew like 15 came to visit and i was showing him some of my songs i was working with because my, my mom was like playing some of your music. I'm like, Oh God, like he doesn't want to hear my music. <laughs> um, and so I, I was playing him bad ones and he's like, Oh cool. I'm like, do you know, Tegan and Terry? He's like, no. And I'm like, they did everything is awesome. on the Lego movie. Oh my God. He's like, them. <laughs> so like, that was like the, the trigger that you're in. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. So I'm, I'm in. He's like, I love that song. I'm like, yeah, that was them. Uh, and then the funny thing was I had just gotten the, my song monster, which ended up on Grand Theft Auto five with um uh, solomon had kind of used it on one of the soundtracks mm. like world thing and it, that had just been confirmed too so i like i was like okay i'm, I'm riding good with my nephew and i'm like and you know i got a new song on the new grand theft auto and he's like what <laughs> wait, wait wait what and then he proceeds to like go into this whole narrative about i was like well my screen name is this and i got all this like free money from this but they stopped doing that and like he just goes into this whole grand theft auto thing and i'm like oh man like I'm cool to a 15 year old right, right now. You've, you've opened, <laughs> you've opened the floodgates. You are. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm never changing. Nothing's gaining. Such a silly plan.
so I just walk. I'm really moving, man. Give me each step. I am moving, man. So then going to, uh, to track eight, uh, we're at Moving Man, uh, which, yeah. which feels like, yeah, there's like a, this feeling of like the physical physical versus like m- metaphysical motion um, that this song captures. Um, and, and I feel like it's something for me that like, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think I sort of identify with it as I as I've gotten sort of, you know, sort of older and sort of been more aware of like the passage of time and like the idea of like you know, moving physically through the world, but then also like moving as a person, like aging through the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm just wondering what your sort of experience, what sort of experience you had with this song and what one, you know, what you were sort of trying to communicate through this. Yeah. Like I think I, I, I'm, I picture myself walking through the streets, you know, here in, in town, I live in Ann Arbor now. And so whenever I hear the song, I, I, I just see myself walking around. It, it's kind of like a, it's like the song in your head kind of soundtrack um for at least for me for like just moving through life mm-hmm. um and then kind of like when i when i stop i'm still moving um kind of like no matter what you do like it's like time is is going to like hurl forward without you um and that's what i say when i go out on the streets um i go searching for something someone i want to meet so you're kind of like it's it's it, this is very autobiographical actually it's 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 me going out thinking that I'm going out in search of something like I'm, I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for things to point me in the right direction, things to change me, things to, to make me a better man or make me a better person. But then in the end of the verse, like he, he, I kind of realize like, who am I fooling? What am I saying? Uh, I know exactly who I am. Uh, I'm never changing. Um, something, something, something I forget. Um, then I'm just moving, man. Like I'm just, you realize you can you can think about all the stuff. Yes, you can make you can make changes. You can you can be a good person. There's nothing wrong with that. You should always strive to be a good person. Don't hurt people. But your your core concept, your core values, a lot of them are just like burned into you, mm-hmm. you know. And and you can you can harness those and you can put you know bridles on them and keep them in check. But uh, they're always kind of there. You know, they're they're lurking and you're aware of them. So I think that's what the song was about. It was like, he might go out, you know, searching for all this stuff. Maybe, yeah, maybe it is a little bit getting older too. Like your twenties, you're just out there like trying to become something. And then your thirties, as those reach your forties, you're kind of just like, eh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm who I am. Yeah. Like, you're not, you're not quite that, that no pinball. Point. <laughs> you don't have that yeah. sort of pinball quality to you that you have in your twenties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, I did... yeah. it was one of the later songs I wrote. I think it's one of the last songs I finished on the album. Oh, wow. And I always find it really interesting to to, to hear like when, uh, you know, when songs sort of came to be, in, especially mm-hmm. when there's been a long sort of, um, or been sort of a, a long process, you know, as as is on this record, you know, of the over five years, the writing process. I think it's always fascinating to see like which ones were the most recent and which ones maybe were around and sort of, you know, influencing the things that came after them. That's really interesting that this one's one of the later ones. Yeah, totally. So 
So Bunny's interlude is up next, and uh, it obviously is sort of a, uh, uh, I mean, not, I don't want to say like a breather before the the sort of strong ending, but it comes certainly between um, two songs that are very, I think, sonically commanding. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what the thought process was behind that placement, and also just how um, this song ties back to Bunny's to Bunny's dream, like for yeah. for you or for for listeners i guess yeah the, the the guitar part came from greg ahi just kind of noodling around in one of those sessions that we were doing um and it was again like just a combination of like effects and weird just vibe coming from these little boxes and him just like kind of like doing something while i was setting up another channel and i just looked back at him like keep playing that like don't stop like I got to record that. It's really good. And so he just kept going with that, like kind of little arpeggiated guitar line. Uh, and then I started messing with the even tied H 8,000, like the harmonizer perspective, uh, Brian, Eno famous, like effects system mm. thing. Um, and so I started like kind of moving stuff around while he was playing. And then at the very end, it just goes like, Wee! like up in pitch. And that was just like cool ending. He's like, Whoa, like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, so that was just a one take thing. And then I did, I'm like, I think this needs some like good, uh, just really cryptic, weird, like narration, like behind it. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I just whipped out like a few weird effects and then I set up this little channel strip and just did the vocals, like the narration for it real quick. And I'm like, is that it? And he's like, Whoa, he's like, yeah, that's it. (laughs) So, It was again, it was just like first thought, best thought. And then in the end, I was like, ah, this is a really cool like interlude. Um, so we placed it, you know, where it needed to be just to kind of tie everything together. Hmm. The, the calm before the storm, I guess. Yeah, and the storm sort of begins, uh, the the ending storm here uh, begins with track 10, uh, Duke of Dens. And I got to say, I really, um, I love that title. And I'm not, I don't totally know why, but it just does something uh, for me. I'm wondering what the, if there's any kind of story behind it or what, what it, what you're going for with it. Well, um, it's another one of those things where in retrospect, it just, it came out just from the, I need a title. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting at the computer and I'm like, I'm going to do uh, tent. Um, and then later I'm kind of like, ah, well, I'm father of three now. Like, am I a Duke of like the den? Like, oh, interesting. Like, you know, like am I king of a little world now? Like more than, um, or is it like the den is in like the bear cave or something? Um, so yeah, there was, there's nothing really like uh, overt or obvious about it to mm-hmm. me. That's just what I've hung my hat on post. Uh, yeah. But it was just one of those cool, like I had the beat and then the whole thing was like a poly six chord, poly six synthesizer, mm-hmm. uh, just jamming on it. And in the end, it just kind of all fit. And I was like, Whoa, this is a great song. And I tried to do some lyrics to it. I sent it out to some people and maybe do some lyrics, but in the end, it's like, let's just keep this instrumental. It's just fun. It's just jammy. It's, it's just wild. Uh, so when I do it live, I, I usually add some lyrics to it. 
but um mm. it's just a nice big crazy synthy party song yeah yeah it reminded me of um like uh like 808 state or something like one of those like, oh, a, yeah. like acid house yeah like instrumental tracks that they did on a couple of those records and in, in their sort of heyday i was i don't know yeah it was definitely like it grabs you for sure. Like I was, I was sort of at one point, I think I was listening to this record and I was sort of doing other, you know, taking notes or doing other things, you know, sort of, uh, the one of the, one of the first times, you know, sort of listening. And, uh, I think it was when this one came on that I was like, Oh my God. And I had to like go back and make sure I like looked and saw what song it was. I was like, Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one that I'm going to, you know, going to oh, flag cool. and keep with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. Now that I think about it, I should have gotten a uh, John O'Mah from Jaguar mod thing on it. Or, mm-hmm. That would have been a cool fit. Because I, I hear that too. Like, I hear a little bit of that kind of surf acid stuff in it. Yeah. Like, a little bit of, like, kind of the Happy Mondays vibe like, in there. Like, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a good, like, throwback song. Yeah, and I felt that the same way about um, electricity as well. There's something happening. I mean, I I don't always love the phrase like old school, but like it feels like mm-hmm. a a very uh, there's a timelessness to sort of the uh, the beat and sort of the the like d- uh, dancey quality for lack of a better term like quality to that track. Like I'm just wondering yeah. if that was something. I mean, obviously, like I don't know if you were going in like thinking like oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna write something that could be like you know if you squint hard enough could have been like a disco hit back when but like yeah so just i'm just wondering what the um what going in sort of you were hoping to accomplish with this one or what the recipe what your recipe is for like a track like this that makes you want to like shake your ass a little bit yeah no you're not too far off because um i told my wife it was during like the 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 final quarter of the process of getting the album together and i said you know i need like a good like groovy song like they kind of remind me of something from the other albums and i was like i need i need just like a good Fancy, upbeat, good bass, and good drums. And she said, okay. And <laughs> like, like most nights, she's like, all right. Sure, <laughs> good. Uh, so I disappear, you know, like from like post uh, 10 o'clock to like two in the morning in the studio. Come up, get anything? No. I tried. You know, it's like me just literally like sitting on bass guitar with like a drum beat mm-hmm. uh, for like two, three hours. Same night, same thing next night, same thing next night. Like, it took me like, I think like four nights and then the next day, like when we wake up in the morning, I love to play. Like if I have any new music, I'll just like put it on the, the living room and be like, here's what I did last night. Like, it just feels good. Like just, I had a result. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the I've actually guy got... that disappears for, for nothing. <laughs> I've actually been working. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it wasn't all cryptocurrency, uh, trading and watching, uh, think about when the album was written, by the way, not anymore. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, it's a dated album, <laughs> a dated statement. Uh, so electricity, like I had this drive. I'm like, I gotta get this baseline. Like there's a baseline out there that just needs to happen. Like I just need, I need the baseline. So, um, when I played it for the morning and I finally had it, she's like, she's like, Oh, she's like, where'd you come with that? And I'm like, that's what I've been going downstairs for the last four days. Like I've been trying to get that baseline <laughs> and like, I just found it. 
and it's so simple. Like my, my bass playing is, you know, about as good as my golfing probably. It's like, it's not, <laughs> or hopefully my bass playing is better than my golf. <laughs> um, cause I don't golf at all, but it's just like, it's point and shoot, you know, it's like, okay, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. Nope. Nope. No recorded, recorded. No. Oh, well that's it. Like I found it. And I could do that like once. And if you <laughs> ask me right now, play it. If you ask me to play the bass line from Elk I'd be like, what? And it's like, I have no idea how to do that. Um, so it's like mu- it's immediately learned muscle memory and then immediately forgotten like muscle memory. Yeah. Um, and many times I was playing my band live, they'd be like, wait, 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 how, how did you do this bass line? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And then like, they're trying to figure it out. I think it was like earth forms. And then like, I played it and I'm like, I'm trying. I'm like, Oh no, this is it. And they're like, Oh, they're like, I would never think to play that way. I'm like, yeah, it's like the easiest way to play it. Like, like I just, I, I take things that are supposed to be pretty difficult. I think I just simplify them and find like cheats. <laughs> Whatever the sh- I find shortcuts in music. Um, and I, I'm not saying that this was, but electricity was definitely like me searching for a baseline, found the baseline, and then the rest of the song fell in place after that. Well, it's a, like I say, it's a, it's a rad track. And I think those, yeah, those two taken together, uh, Duke of Dens and electricity, it's quite the, uh, sort of back half one, two punch. Um, totally. And it continues a little bit with Kiss Me Forever, which is, uh, again, it's one of those, it, it struck me as one of those sort of um, character songs, sort of a, a a form of a love song, perhaps, but with a little bit of mm-hmm. sort of sentiment with, with those, with the darkness sort of, you know, tinting the edges of everything. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I found that to be very, um, you know, very, very evocative. I thought also that, that the... Um, you know the the multi-track vocals that you know is obviously something that you've that you've made something of a of a trademark a little mm-hmm. bit um i thought those were particularly they they st- they stood out on this one for me that it almost felt sort of like a um you know sort of like an angel and a angel and a devil on the shoulder kind of thing like uh, totally effect on this one i thought that was so i'm just wondering what um you know what the uh what the the Inspiration yeah. and Im- Im- impetus for this song was uh, what you were trying to to capture here. What 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 sort of demons you had in mind? I guess also. No, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so this is one that definitely was one of the later songs. This is one of the ones that's like, does it make the album? Um, and then every time you take it off the list, you're like, no, 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 no it's got to be on the list. So, mm. so this was the one that was like fighting to be on. Um, I think it reminds me a lot of like my older stuff mm-hmm. with better like Sonics. Um, and it was just, it's got that like cool, just like driving kind of like, it, it reminds me a little bit of the, the talking heads, like Bush mm-hmm. and Ghosts world stuff. It's like, it's kind of, it's very global and worldly sounding. Yeah. But, um, uh, there's a lot in there. There's, there's, um, you know, it's about me and my wife, like long-term relationships. It's about me dealing with like, you know, excessive, uh, usage, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the past and, and just kind of not dealing with or not not doing that anymore but being okay with it yeah just kind of like 
being okay with it, but then the, the I had that that part that came out that ah, um, just like came out of me, and I'm like, oh, like that's that's a great like. And then I started singing the lyrics. I'm like, that's what the demons said when they fled. So it's like the mm-hmm. demons like in you, like kind of the the things that are that are gone and they're they're in check and they're just out of there. Like when they when they finally realize that the gig is up then they're like not really going to get anything like out of this experience anymore. Yeah. Like that was them kind of like just doing this weird wailing, like cry as they like leave my body. A little parting shot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's what the demons are. And I promise you the demons are dead. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's things that kids, you don't, you talk about this stuff with people like in real life, but, mm-hmm. I think being a musician, being me, it's it's a lot easier for me just to like say it in a song. And also, like my wife will never listen to that song and be like, "So let's talk about the lyrics of uh, Kiss Me Forever." Right, you know, right? Kind of like she even understands that it's just it's not always so blatantly about us, but I'm sure she hears stuff and takes it as like little like nods to like our relationship mm-hmm. and and. She's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad Matt's singing those things right now. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a weird form of communication. Um, she's like, what are you gonna? Yeah, like, what are you cooking for dinner? Uh, hold on, babe. I gotta go write a song, and then like, you'll hear, you'll hear what I'm cooking for dinner <laughs> in the right. song. It's and called the menu song. Um, I don't call her babe. Tegan and Sarah return uh, on Bad Ones, uh, which is... The return, part two. Is, that's right. Prequel. And so, yeah. It's actually you, the prequel. It's the prequel, if you were thinking about it. Oh, yeah. That's, that's kind it of was the first one. single. Second single. Yeah. Um, Sorry. No, it's all right. I was just saying that, like, you, you sort of mentioned this was kind of a... Uh, this was kind of a bonus <clears throat> song from them. Yeah. Um, I'm just also wondering, just as a, you know, from a production standpoint and from a... Um, I guess, yeah, just from a production standpoint, like how, because I mean, and you're, you're someone who also who's done like a lot of remixes and who is, who is used to sort of working with, um, with sort of other people's voices. I just wonder like how your experience and your calibrations change when you're working with, you know, someone else's, someone else's voice, whether it's their actual, you know, their actual sonic voice or their mm-hmm. lyrical voice, um, versus your own. Is there a, is there a difference there for you or do you just sort of approach everything everything on an even even plane no i mean it's definitely different obviously for the obvious reasons mm-hmm. you know just for the, the frequencies are different the, sure. i mean their voices couldn't be any more different than my voices or my voice but yeah my voice is when i layer it mm-hmm. um so in that sense yeah it's, it's completely different so i have to kind of figure out a little bit of a different way to like mix it but what's fun is when I bring other people's voices into my world of mm-hmm. voices. Um, so I all apply a lot of the layering tricks and the same things I do and the compression and the EQ boosting and dynamics that I do on mine to theirs. And that's always cool. It's like, it's like 
Play-Doh or clay, or you're kind of like, ah, oh, cool. And I've got, I've got some new clay that I haven't worked with before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm real sick of my clay. It's like all dingy and like used over here. So I get to use somebody else's stuff. Um, so yeah, it's always fun to work with other people in that sense. Um, I haven't done it enough to have one. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so I'm sure it would eventually happen. Uh, incompatible, but for them it was oddly easily compatible. Um, this is fun. Yeah, it's, I, was, I love pops. Like I said, I love pops. So this is like my 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 way of being able to do a song with somebody who's sung on stage with Taylor Swift, you know? Right. <laughs> um, it's just, it's weird. It's so bizarre, but it, it, it just makes sense some, some odd way to me. Yeah. And it feels like it makes it, it like And it feels like it makes sense sonically too. Cause it, it also, I mean, it feels, I mean, you know, as you know, you're, you're somebody who's, you know, you've, you've been in the business for a while now. And I feel like pop music at this point has almost like caught up in some ways. To the point yeah. where where the type of sounds that you're working with and the the sort of place you're coming from is sort of you know it, there's it, it it's not as big of a gulf between those things now as it maybe was ten or fifteen years ago in terms of like what's getting well, I don't played on the radio I guess is you know but I mean yeah played on the radio or streamed or put out by you know big money. Um, commercial concerns, that kind of thing. Like it does feel like there's, there's been a little bit of a, of a coming together. And I think that, that, you know, this is, uh, shows some of those possibilities, I guess. Yeah. I mean, but the, the most obvious thing now I think is that there are absolutely no rules um, whatsoever yeah. uh, for, for everything, the way you market something, the way you present yourself, like who you are, what you are, who you identify with, uh, what you, I mean, you kind of can't sing about like, bad stuff like people don't like aggression they sure. don't like um they don't like insulting behavior mm-hmm. um so if you're not, if you're just not doing any of that i think you can pretty much do whatever you want and then it becomes a matter of like okay what does it sound like it goes back to that vibe thing that we talked about yeah um so so many people nowadays where you're hip-hop rock uh, pop you're just selling vibe you know you're selling you're selling like a, a the vibe of the artist the package the song itself mm-hmm. um so in that sense, yeah, I think it works on a vibe level. Um, and yeah, there's no, it's so hard to shoot yourself in the foot these days uh, yeah. with a song, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like it used to be probably a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to the whole like pop music changing thing. Yeah, I had this like funny little tangent thought a few months ago. Like I would love to do a breakdown of like how pretty much like all the music being made from like 2000 to 2006 in like underground weird electronic world basically it could be like uh tracked to like modern day pop and like how it's all like connected in some weird way yeah um and so i i think there's a lot of that like, i definitely remember the obvious ones like black eyed peas had some song back in like 2009 i'm like this is a this is like i heard the song in ibiza like five years ago yeah like, like the soundtrack <laughs> you know like there was definitely these moments where it was just so obvious, like that this underbelly of music was affecting the the uh, the forehead of music. I guess you should say. Yeah. But yeah. I said the forehead of music. That's good. Uh, uh, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. 
we're, we've reached the end. We've reached uh, the final track, um, uh, Bunny. Track. And it's a really, uh, I think the um, sort of maybe no more appropriate name for the last track on an album than uh, Before I Go. Uh, yes. Yeah. It, How did that happen? I don't know. It's almost like it was deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this this does it feels like a bookend, obviously, like with with Bunny's dream from the beginning, um, uh, to the point even where it's like for me it felt like sort of the that sort of like dreamy landscape that that we talked about at the start. You know, um, you you almost get a sense on this one of it sort of falling back apart a little bit, mm-hmm. I think, and that I, I found I found that to be um, a sort of gratifying way for the record to end. Um, yeah, I don't like, I don't like tightening things up. I like loose ends. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want some like perfectly like final breaststroke or the, I yeah, I want to like pull the brush off the page and then like just actually spell, like spill the ink or paint like on the thing. It's just like, oh fuck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that, that's my departing. Uh, uh, but no, this one, the, the basis of the song was like, I've always wanted to work with Ricardo Villalobos, who's been like a really big inspiration to me musically and also as a DJ and just an overall nice, fun guy to be around mm-hmm. um, throughout my, my career. And so we were sharing, actually on that same trip in Australia, uh, we were sharing a, a van to the festival and I said, hey man, like, you want to work on some music together? And he said, he looked at me like, I've been waiting 15 years to work on music with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes. So from that moment, we kind of like, shared some uh, text messaging and then I was in Berlin and he's got a studio right next to the, um, right outside Panorama bar, like this area, uh-huh. like legendary Bergheim. Like, so it's like the epicenter of like techno. You know? So we went doing for a bit and I came home with this, this, this song, like whatever ended up underneath it all. So then I kind of just added a bunch of my own stuff to it. So he did basically like the rhythm and the drums. And then I added my song to it, which is me trying to be more like, I don't know, like Sade, like Islandy, like um, this very cool 80s uh, electronica, I guess, on top mm-hmm. of it. Um, or 90s, I should say. Uh, and then uh, the lyrics came at the very end, like where I needed some some vocal line, and that worked. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I knew it was the last song on the album. It just kind of worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to spend more time with you uh, before I go, was basically what I was going to say. Um, so I was like, well, let me just leave off the lyric before I go and just call the song before I go. Mm. And I just say, I want to spend more time with you. So it's kind of like a, a little message to my kids. Like no matter how long this all lasts, like I will have wished it was longer. Mm. Um, you know, like it was almost like a message to them. So hopefully like one day they'll listen to it. And then at the very end, if you keep listening, you know, there is my, my daughter's kind of making noise in the background and talking and it was some weird vocal thing that I had. Um, that I had laid around and I tacked on there. Yeah, it, so feels, it, it, it made more sense in that sense as well. It has that feeling of like one of those, like an old fashioned, like hidden track, almost. Yeah, at the end there. Yeah, I thought that was thought that was neat. Now, uh, yeah, I, I just I, that you know brought up a couple of questions for me about uh, you know you, uh, you obviously you know like you said you have three kids now. Now, are they musically inclined? Are they is music a big part of of their life or, or is it something crazy crazy yes yeah, yeah. i've got five-year-old three-year-old and a seven-month-old boy so the two daughters yeah. and then the boy 
and we've never pushed them towards things, uh-huh. but we just let them. I mean, they obviously know what's going on. They're yeah. very intuitive, and they like to, you know, come down to my studio and stuff. But my eldest daughter has always been about performance, so she's always done these kind of ad lib impromptu things where she just loves to grab a like a turkey baster as a microphone and you know a little like ukulele and just like does this kind of like jam thing and my wife and i look at each other like this sounds like kim gordon like what the hell like where's she getting this stuff from <laughs> like she was literally it could be like no way like if i just like recorded it and like pitched it down but she's very good at that aspect of what i do is like letting things come out um, and then being in tune with that and I hope she, she holds on to that. Um, my second daughter, Senna, is way more into like rhythm and and, and like the energy of, of delivery and she she's always been able to like she can hear tempo and she's, she's like the, we, we imagine she's going to be the drummer huh. um, of the uh, child group building put together and, and totally uh, you know, market and try to you know. <laughs> A little family, family band kind of thing maybe? Yeah, you know. Uh, and then my son now is just obviously seven months. We can't tell much, but right. he loves to just bang on drums, and he's got little drum, like Congo drums, and he's he's really into that. So he's anything that is making a percussive bang as a result of his hand, whether it's piano, that he loves. So but yeah, I mean, as much as a musician's kids can be into music, I think they are. Um, if they want to be something else. Totally fine. I would never push them towards anything. Yeah. Um, and as long as they're happy. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll see. Um, wouldn't mind having uh, three more DJs in the house to bring into Mr. Cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we have reached the end of Bunny, and what a pleasure it has been. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Matthew dear, thank you so much for uh, taking some time today and talking about this wonderful record with me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for, for thanks for listening so uh, closely and asking oh, me some great questions. Absolutely. My absolute pleasure. All right. Well, you've been listening here to uh, Track by Track on Consequence of Sound. This is uh, Tyler Clark signing off. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to Track by Track. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this series, Consequence of Sound, on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Or hey, share it with a friend or on social media. It helps make sure we can keep dishing out our music journalism in audio form. You can also follow Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network on Facebook. And be sure to check out our other music, movie, and television podcasts. Head to consequenceofsound.net to explore all of our series. Consequence Podcast Network.